Anyway, uh, today we start a three-week series in the book of Titus, and uh, I love the book of Titus. It's a letter. Uh, I'll, I'm going to talk a little bit whilst you try to find Titus. It's fun for me to watch you go back and forth, and if you don't have your Bible with you or if you just gave up after you hit Romans and couldn't find it, it'll be on the screens. Not only do we have church karaoke, uh, I, I can't make the connection. All right, so... Um, Here's some books I read in preparation for this. I always love to give this as my bibliography so no one can ever accuse me of plagiarism. Um, you can accuse me. I, I've been reading through this one. Uh, it's called Titus by R. Kent Hughes. That one's a good one. Uh, I read through this one, Titus for you. They're all titled Titus, okay? Uh, Tim Chester, a bunch of articles of several sermons, uh, some sermon notes from Tony Evans, and of course, as you know, uh, I prayed through the whole book about a year ago, and so I'm leaning heavy on what God showed me. Make sense? You see why we do that? I want you guys to know that I'm an academic. Uh, <laughs> thanks for the laughter. Uh, so here it is. The letter opens with Paul taking time to show Titus, Titus was a church planner, and so he's taking time to correspond with him, to send him a letter, and really it's one church planning pastor writing to another church planning pastor about what the church should look like. And you'll see what I mean by that here in a moment. I actually want to start right out with Titus 1, 1 through 9. We're going to read that before we have any fill-ins or before I even give you the sermon title, unless they've already put it up there. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, I have it underlined in mind, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Whew, that's a lot for preachers, isn't it? To Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. That's just the introduction for, for Paul. That's the uh, text when you text somebody and say, hey. And you're trying to get him into a conversation. That's what Paul just did. This is why I left you in Crete. Crete is a region that they planted the church. Crete is not known for being the Bible Belt. All right, It's actually the opposite of that. You ever called someone a Cretan? It's not a compliment. No one's ever called anybody a Cretan in here? Pick it up. You get this week. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery and insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, that is quite the opening. It's quite the opening of a letter. And it's not that long of a letter. Three, three chapters, I think, right? Three, three chapters. You, you see then, why did we call the series this? We called the series, Check Yourself. Check Yourself. It's like, why would we call it that? Because I want us to begin to check ourselves. And then ask that question, do I like what I see? 
I mean, if we were to just take all of Keystone Montgomeryville and hold up a mirror, I didn't bring a mirror, I promise, is this the type of letter that Paul would write to us? I mean, it's a letter to a church planner, but it's a letter to a church. We're a church. Is this the type of letter that Paul would write to us? If I got a letter, what would Paul be asking about? What would he be saying? Dear Mark, dear Keystone Montgomeryville, I think Paul is trying to show us the answers to some questions we might have. And one big one that really propelled me into writing these, these sermon series is this. If Jesus lived in North Wells, would he attend Keystone Montgomeryville? Would this be his church? Would he be like my friend and say, you guys talk, and he would have to first person it. Would you guys talk about me a lot, Right. You guys seem happy to be here. I love that you put the words on the screen, right? I, I love that, right? What is the church supposed to look like? What do you guys think? Like, just think of a few answers. In your head, we're not doing holler outs right now. Like, what is the church supposed to look like? If we were to hold up a big giant mirror to everybody in here, would we look at it and go, oh, yeah, I am the church. That is what the church is supposed to look like. It's supposed to look like the church. See, I told you I was an academic. Those kind of, that kind of stuff just flows freely, right? But, like, what does it look like every single day? You ever think about that? Like, I think we have a good idea what it looks like today. We kind of get it, you know. We know how to do church. But what does it look like? What does my everyday church look like? Do I check myself every single day in that gospel mirror? How about a real mirror? Did everybody look in the mirror this morning? Some of you, I ain't sure. You know, I'm like looking. I'm like, ah, ah. Cover one eye? What's going on? Sometimes I'll go all day. I'll come home, and then I'll, I'll, I'll look in the mirror, and I'll go, oh, my gosh. That's like, I got like a thing that sticks up back here. And I'll be like, oh, honey, why didn't you tell me about that? And she's like, it always looks like that. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. Exactly the answer I want. But, but I think we have to get a good sense of what this gospel is like if we're looking in the gospel mirror right what is it we're supposed to be reflecting one one reason i think that titus is in the bible there's a lot right you could set up elder teams with that you could set up leadership teams but that's really not the angle we're working on for the next three weeks is this is that so we can see that that christians the, the church right we can see that we are supposed to go public with our faith there's, there's actually no such thing it's private Christianity. We're supposed to go public with our faith. Christians should be more willing to do good works and not just, you know, like more than willing to do good works. We should like actually want to do good works. That's why I love that when we prayed through zealous. We should be zealots for this. So today's sermon title, I'm finally getting to it. Today's sermon title is this, the gospel in street clothes the gospel in street clothes i would love to say that i came up with that i did not i read it in an article and i'm going to read an excerpt from this i read this article last year here's a little excerpt um we all own tons of clothes we store them in our dressers our closets and bins under our beds anybody but the only clothes people will know that we have are the ones we wear in public. So it is with the Christian's life. People can identify as Christians all day long, but the world will, not, will only see the gospel's power when they see how we relate both to each other 
and to others. Maybe it's a changed attitude towards the government. That'll be in week three. Maybe it's a newfound self-control in our conversations with each other. That'll be all three weeks. Or maybe it's generosity to those in need. The good works that flow from our belief in gospel should be undeniable and noticeable. The gospel in street clothes. So, so are you ready? Are you ready to check yourself and determine, like, is what I'm wearing the right thing? Does my everyday clothes, what I put on, what I show the world, is that the gospel? Maybe, maybe we will see that, that some of this stuff, some of the, the things that you see in the mirror when you hold it up and check yourself, hopefully, I hope that I see it. I hope I see something and go, man, I need to throw that away. Maybe it doesn't fit anymore, right? Maybe it doesn't look as good as I think it does. And maybe just maybe it's not a reflection of the gospel in street clothes. So what is that all about? Your gospel street clothes should look like what? Godliness. Jesus is also an acceptable answer. Your gospel street clothes should look like godliness. Look at the first verse again. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of the elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with, everybody all at once, accords with? Good. I told you back when we prayed to get ready for that, and you did. Okay. Accords also means leads. Knowledge of the truth leads to what? Godliness. So what is godliness? Is it a piece of clothing I just put on? Is it just like, you know what, I got a closet full of clothes. I love that godliness sweater, you know? Let's put that on. The gospel in street clothes, though, looks like godliness. Godliness is one of the primary purposes of the gospel. God created a people that are God-loving. Uh, to be closer to God. To, uh, and then what did we do? We rebelled. We didn't like that. We, we said, no, we know better. And then so he sent Jesus to die for us so that godliness could be achieved. And the more I hook into and believe in that truth, it leads to godliness. And, and I hear this sometimes, and I like it. I, I like it. When people become a Christian, they'll say things to me. And they'll, they'll recount their, their salvation story. And in there are these wonderful stories, things like this. God saved me from whatever, right? It could be from whatever. God saved me from addiction, drugs, and alcohol, and pornography. Or, or God saved me from failure. Or God saved me from heartbreak, etc. And all those things are true. Say with me, all true. Ready? All true. But, but, God didn't just save me from something, he saved me what? You know where I'm going with this, don't you? To something. He saved me to something. That's actually double better. Also a word. To, to live in godliness, we're saying, God, not only did you save me from something, you saved me to something. The gospel on me looks like godliness. So, are you cultivating that in your heart? Is that your expression? Is the truth of the gospel leading you towards godliness? There's a couple ways we're going to check it. The gospel, we know this, the gospel produces godliness. We saw that in Titus 1.1. Paul, servant of God, an apostle of Jesus, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, their knowledge of the truth, which leads to, accords with godliness. I want godliness. I want to be godly. You guys want to be godly? 
Just raise your hand. Let's see. Come on, let's get a little pulse in the room. Okay, cool. That's like 99%. I think the 1% just wasn't paying attention. So that's good. That's good. That's what this book is. If you weren't paying attention, just do it now so we can get 100%. Okay, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what this book, this letter is all about. How do, I, how do I lead towards that? How do I accord with? How do I believe in the truth? And so what we're going to do is we're actually going to flip over a chapter to chapter 2. Like some of you are like, I just now found Titus, and now we're turning pages. Yeah, but we're staying in the same book. Like, it's probably on the same page. It potentially is, depending on how your book apparatus is set up. But it says this. This is how we know. This is how we will bring this about and know that the gospel produces godliness. It says in verse 11 through 12, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. How many people did it bring salvation for? All. And to who did it bring it? People. Are you a people? Everybody in here is a people. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. All right, pop quiz. What are we to renounce? Ungodliness and something else. Worldly passions. And how are we to live? Self-controlled, upright, godly lives. So is it as simple to say, and I think this is an oversimplification, I can be godly by rejecting ungodliness? Uh, That's what Paul said. I'm an inerrantist Bible reader. I believe that's what it said. But if you were to put that into question form, let's just say, let's say I'm having coffee with one of you or a nice steak somewhere and, and we're just enjoying it and then out of the blue you decide to ask me questions that happens sometimes um you might say something like this mark how can i live a self-controlled upright godly life what do you think pastor mark might say i put some answers down because i don't want to hear your answers i'll tell you <laughs> do you think i might say i think you need to uh, have greater willpower we're not voting on these by the way I might say, uh, I think you need to read your Bible more. None of these should be a surprise. Maybe I would say, I think you need to find a good accountability partner, someone to really, really ask you the tough questions. Oh, I know you think I would say, you need to get in a community group. (laughs) You need to get in a community group. But let's say you're having coffee with the Apostle Paul, and you ask him the same question. You remember, Paul, how can I live a self-controlled, upright, godly life? Paul just told us his answer, the grace of God, the grace of God. The grace of God trains us to say no to ungodliness. If you want to know, how do I do it? How do I live it? Do I read my Bible more? I put my in here, my Bible that for today is in this. Do I read it more? Do I pray more? All those things are great. All those things do lead to godliness. But Paul's first answer would be the grace of God. That is what will help you say no to ungodliness and no to worldly passions and to live self-controlled. So if I check myself in the gospel mirror, is what I see the grace of God? Or do I see not self-control, self-uncontrolled, and chasing worldly passions? Do my street clothes look like the grace of God? You know what I mean by that? I hope you do. Does what I wear every single day of my life, every minute of my existence, does it look like the grace of 
God. Because the grace of God trains us. Well, how does it train us, Paul? That would be my follow-up. I get it, Paul. Theologically, I understand what you're saying. But how does the grace of God train me? How is the grace of God training me to live and wear the gospel every day? Look at verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, so the grace of God, ready? It focuses our worship. The grace of God focuses our worship. Hmm. We have two types of relationships with God. We have a vertical relationship. Everybody point in the way, the verbal. Good, good. That's for me because I forget. We have a vertical relationship. That's why I like songs that are vertical. Holy, holy, holy are you. Uh, If I wrote a song, it would be so simple. You are God. It's like, I think he knows that. Yeah, I know, but I forget. Vertical relationship. Now, the greater my vertical relationship is, that will improve what kind of relationship? Horizontal relationship. So, the greater my vertical relationship is, the more I will not produce God's grace, reflect God's grace. It says, again, waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is up. That is up. The grace of God shows us what to worship. It does. Am I reflecting that? If you look in the mirror, do you you have a worship problem? And I don't mean you can't clap on tune like everybody else. You know, I don't mean that. I don't mean that, you know, this music is not my, uh, I don't really, it's not in my top five. Don't care what i'm saying is do you have a worship problem that leads to ungodliness in romans 1 i didn't put this one down. i'm just gonna real quick in romans 1 23 it says we gave the glory of god to created things oh that's a worship problem uh, when when we worship anything or everything other than god we have a worship problem. We have a glory problem. We gave glory to things other than God. A Hebrew speaker, so we're talking Old Testament, or even in this period, a Hebrew speaker would say it like this. You gave weight to something other than God. Or he would even take it a step further. Uh, you gave weight to something that doesn't matter. We gave the weight that we're supposed to give to God to other things. Now, just a moment of unbridled January honesty here. Uh, Have you ever given weight to things that don't matter? Okay, thank you, honest one. Good, good, good. We're getting there. Don't worry, I got another one. A Greek speaker might say this. You gave beauty. You gave beauty to something that was meant for God. So a Hebrew speaker, he might say, you gave weight to something that wasn't God, that didn't matter. A Greek speaker, she might say, you gave beauty to something that did not matter. In fact, you gave beauty to something that was meant for God. And because we give weight and beauty to things other than God, then we have a worship problem. I got examples. How might that look? I can't be happy without what? Money. Uh Uh-oh. Okay, how about this? I can't get by without respect. I need comfort. Now listen, 
is not sin to want comfort, to have respect, to be respectful, or to have money. The problem is when I give weight to those things, when I give beauty to money or respect or comfort in such a way that it changes my everyday gospel clothes and I'm no longer reflecting grace. Uh, do you wear your gospel clothes in here, maybe? Maybe you're good at that, right? Or at your CG, you know how to put on the right show, don't you? But then you get home and you put on your real clothes. Anybody? Anybody got house clothes? Clothes that they would never wear out in public on purpose? I do. I'm so glad that sweatpants have become okay to wear in public because <laughs> we've all been wearing them for years. Mesh. I'm still not allowed to wear mesh in public, but I'm working on Jennifer maybe someday. <laughs> but does it work the same with the way you treat the gospel? You got a certain set of clothes that you wear at home, but everywhere else you, you dress up a little bit. Maybe you don't have the right view of weight and beauty. I read this in one of those books. To change sin at the heart level, which is where God wants to change it, he, he has to change what we worship. Paul Tripp said, if we worship our way into sin, we have to worship our way out. I like that. So the grace of God, does, it refocuses our worship. That's one way you can put on gospel clothes. Uh, second, the grace of God causes us to be, what is that? Grateful. Grateful. Look at verse 14, Titus 2. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. I'm going to stop right there. I'm big on gratitude. That is a personal um, core value for me, me personally. I try very hard to not hold other people to my core values, but that's a core value. It's our family core value. We like that. No, we don't have like a list of them on our living room. Oh, that'd be weird. Um, I, I don't want to say thank you to people because it's polite. I want to say thank you because I'm grateful. I have cause to be grateful. Thankful, grateful, that, that means something to me. I think a lot of you are probably like that. Maybe you don't think about it, but I bet you are. I, I love to write thank you notes, like actual real thank you notes with a I actually use a Sharpie, but uh, I write them out, and I love to mail them to people. I just like to do it. This is my way, a little lost art, I believe, of saying I am grateful for you. I am thankful for what you're doing. If I'm wearing the gospel every day, then guess what? My life will reflect and not only reflect, exude gratefulness. It will be. It's a sign of godliness that you are grateful, that you are thankful. So do you suppose if it's a sign of godliness to be grateful, what do you suppose a sign of ungodliness is? Ungrateful. Un not thankful. In fact, the same folks that gave weight and beauty also said this in Romans 1. They neither glorified or gave thanks. The same group that misapplies worship, weight, and beauty also is not grateful. Now, now, when you are thankless, it is as if you are convincing yourself that, here's what I think, that you could have done this without them. You ever have that feeling? 
I'm not saying thank you. I did it. Uh-huh. Okay. How's that gospel related, Mark? Are you just trying to get this all right? You a thank you note for a great sermon? No. You can't do it now anyway because I said it. Now it wouldn't mean that much. You know what I'm saying? Like, I blew it. I blew it for you. But my point is this. The gospel, here's what it is always doing. It is always doing in a graceful way. It is always pointing out our inability to do it on our own, which makes us grateful. Jesus had to do it all, and we receive it as a gift. Are you grateful for that? Do you see how this causes you to be grateful? If I'm always thinking about that, if I am always have that in the front of my mind, and it's like, man, I want to live in godliness, then live in gratitude. And that gratitude will push you towards godliness. It says it'll train you. It'll lead you in that way. You say, man, I want to wear the gospel every day of my life and everything I do, whether I'm coaching my kid's team or, or teaching my class or going to the gym or driving down 309 at five points, right? Like, I want to be grateful that we have a car, whatever it is, you know, whatever it is. Some of you are like grippy grateful. I get it. But it's like, how can I reflect gratitude? Because when we are thankless towards God, not only do we rob God of the glory that only belongs to him, but we delude ourselves into thinking that we did it and we're self-sufficient. And I don't want to live that way. We forget that every breath you have breathed today and every point in your life comes from God. That every blessing on earth is a gift that comes from his hand. And it should cause us to be grateful. Because there's not a bit of this that we could do on our own. Not even one little bit. Now, look at the rest of that verse. I'm going to go back. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, which honestly, a people for his own possession is a sermon series in and of itself. I love that phrase. It's all over the Bible. It's incredible. But now we're going to talk about who are zealous for good works. Now, are you guys tracking with what's going on here? The more grateful you are, the more you'll want to do. Do you see that? Not that you think you might be talked into doing, right? The classic church volunteer thing, you know? Seriously, a relationship with God produces intimacy, and intimacy produces godliness, and godliness produces worship, and worship, it means I become grateful, and the more grateful I am, the more zealous I am to do things with God. Notice I said with God, not for God. Because if you've learned anything from me, how much does God need me to do for him? Zero. I love that passage in Psalms. Someday I'm going to look it up and actually memorize where it is. But it says, if I were in need of something, this is God, I wouldn't ask you. I love that. It's like one of my favorites. Someday I'll look it up. Somebody look that up for me and tell me in between. No, 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 because you'll go down the rabbit hole on that. So here's what I found. I found that in, even in my human reaction, so even if I get, remember the vertical? If I get my vertical correct, that's me to God, God to me. I'm listening, I'm hearing, I'm believing. I bet you get where it works, right? If I get that right, this affects my horizontal relationship. The more grateful I am for God, the more grateful I am for people. And I have found that just, just like a human interaction, let's say like maybe a boss, maybe you guys have a boss, and you're just like, wow, I'm grateful for him. Why? <laughs> Why? You know what? He's nice to me. He, he, he tells me that sometimes, you know, things like that. 
Now, God is not a boss. Please, please don't think that. God's not your boss. He's your father. But, but if you had a, a manager or a boss that you were just grateful for, do you think you would be more likely to be a zealous to do things with that person? Maybe you don't work for him. Maybe it's just a person that you love doing ministry with or you love working out with or whatever. It's like, wow, this person causes me to be grateful. And because of that, I'm able to do more. I want Keystone Montgomeryville to look like this. To be so solid in our vertical relationship with God that our horizontal comes out as zealots. That the grace of God is being reflected in us at all point in time. That when we put on our gospel clothes, people shouldn't be shocked. It should be normal. So those are the, the two things. The grace of God focuses our worship. The grace of God causes us to be grateful. Or there's this other option. You could totally fake it. Has anybody ever faked anything? Man, I've faked it. I was a professional faker for a little while in my life. I got good at it, right? What does it look like if you never, ever, ever put on the gospel clothes? Or, you know, you just figured out where to wear them at the right time. The opposite of godliness looks like this. Back to chapter 1. So either look left or flip the page. Titus 1, 10 through 16. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. Especially those of the circumcision party. You say, you're all talk. You're all talk. You keep commands, but it's just for ritual. 11, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. It's saying, you use God as a means to an end when it suits you. You don't really believe in the gospel. You could, but you don't. Uh, you you kind of go along with stuff sometimes, you know, or you, you water it down a little bit to make it okay. But you never really put your real self in there or ever, anywhere else. Verse 12, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars. That's good. Evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Now, here, here's what I know. I, I know that you're not facing the exact same thing that they were. I'm no fool. I know that. But false religion is false religion. And it pretty well holds true. The game plan hadn't changed, and neither has ours. Go and make disciples. <laughs> and the false religion hadn't changed either. Don't do that. Or make disciples, just not of the gospel. So the devil uses this sort of thing right here, this false religion where all the things you give weight and beauty to, he uses all of those things to do these things to the gospel. Undermine it, erode it, and kill it. The godliness at work in God's people, he would love to undermine that. Verse 15, to, to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, Nothing is pure. 
but both their minds and their consciousness are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good. So let's just end right there and say, which of these two people do you reflect? Are you wearing the gospel clothes or or these things? Unbelieving, nothing is pure. You profess to know God, but you, you don't really. You put on a good show, but then you wear your house clothes. Which do you see when you check yourself? I'm going to actually ask our worship team to come on up because we're going to take a, an extended moment here to pray through this. And, and so which would you say, like, gosh, I think instead of worshiping God, I think I might worship whatever I want. Maybe not even consciously. You're just like, yeah, I think I do that. Or, or maybe instead of gratitude, what might you have a lot of in your life? Pride. I don't need to be grateful. I did this on my own. So if I check myself into just the tightest mirror, right, what is it that is being shown back to me? Here's what I know. When I check myself, sometimes I can be fooled. You ever fool yourself? I can think that what I see is real because the enemy is very good at the fake. So how quickly can I remove weight and beauty from God and just put it on something else? It can happen in an instant. So I want to invite with you, I want to invite the Father into our lives right now. And you can do this here, you can do this later. If you're watching online, you can certainly do this at your house. I want to invite him in to take a look. I'm not saying God's our mechanic, but sometimes we don't know we have a problem until the mechanic gets under the hood and looks around. So why don't we close our eyes right now. We're going to go to the Father, and we're going to ask him some questions. And I would just like you to just talk to the Father, talk to God. I'm going to try to be quiet, (laughs) but I'll show you how to do it. We're going to start with reveal. So, Lord, reveal to me where I might be putting weight or beauty on anything other than you. Lord, show me, am I living grateful for what you have done? Or do I keep taking credit? Spend a couple seconds there. Write it down if you want. This is the listen. Hear from him. the Lord has revealed things to you you can ignore it you can sit there and scroll for the next four minutes if you're watching online you can turn it off or you can repent repent is a good thing it's becoming clean it's taking that impurity and making it pure you can say to God I'm sorry I'm sorry for believing I could do this on my own. I'm sorry for worshiping something or someone other than you. 
repent for putting my trust, the weight and beauty that you deserve on other things. I'm sorry. through that, you now must break that bond, guys. God showed you something. You said you were sorry. Let's renounce it. Let's revoke its claim on our life. I write it out like this. In the name of Jesus, I revoke or renounce whatever it was and the power it holds over me. name of Jesus, I renounce blank and the power it holds over me. A moment ago, you said you were sorry. God loves to give you things. And the first thing he's going to give you is forgiveness. You said, I'm sorry. God loves giving us something new. So in that moment, when you say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? He loves to give that. He's actively strengthening his relationship with you. So let him receive that now. Now let's replace the lies that came about from those years of believing the lie. Place them with the truth of God's love. Feel it. Know it. You can experience it right now. And as you're praying, I want to speak to a group that maybe you're in the I've been trying to do this life thing on my own category. And you know the thing you need more in your life right now, other than anything else, is Jesus mentioned it a moment ago, but God sent his son for you, to die for you, to die in your place. Not just so that you could overcome something, but he could call you to something. He did call you to leave your sin behind and have your entire future ahead of you with him. The Bible says that if I confess my sins with my mouth, I always touch my mouth, if I confess my sins with my mouth and believe in my heart, died on the cross for me, that he rose from the grave for me, then I will be saved. That is the salvation that we look up to and give thanks for. That is what drives our gratitude. There are many of you who God brought you here for this moment. You know you need forgiveness and you know you need a fresh start. And today, with my help, I'm going to show you how you can turn from your sin turn toward Jesus. You pray this right now with Jesus. You can speak to him. Here's some words you can use, but this is, this is not a formula. You, you can say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've made mistakes. I believe you came in humility for me. I believe you died for me. I believe you were buried in a grave for me. I believe God 
brought you back. You rose from the grave for me. Come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. From this day forward, I will follow 